50 different songs, praise songs that were supposed to be sung in the community. And these songs, most of them really reveal that the psalmist, mostly David, experienced a wide range of emotions from hopelessness to joy, from mourning to dancing. And therefore, uh, the sermon series that we're going to be talking about is, uh, the this, this title of the new sermon series is Turning Mourning into Dancing. This is straight out of Psalm 30. And here as we enter into the summer, and especially as we talked about some really heavy topics about overcoming your mind, adversity, death, relational conflicts, all these different things that have really are important in our hearts one thing that I sense is, man, there are so many emotions in our hearts that are just waiting to be harnessed, channeled for God to turn our mourning into dancing. So over the past, over the, over the summer actually, we'll be going over the Psalms and there is just a wide range of emotions in these Psalms. Um, and really, I think for those who are walking in the Lord, for those who have a living relationship with God, um, Bible reading is really important. And yes, uh, I, I love the fact that many of us were participating in the drop-ins and we have a greater hunger to understand God's word. I love the fact that many of us, we are part of this worship service where I sense that there is great anticipation for what God is trying to reveal through his word. But another huge aspect, component of our spiritual life and the way that God designed us to relate with him is our emotions. And therefore, as we see in these psalms, all these are praise songs. All these are prayers. And I really invite us to use this summer to not only dig into God's word, but to also pray and to just unleash all of our emotions and to pour our anxieties, our concerns, our mourning, our dancing, all of it at the foot of the cross. And I know that prayer it can be very difficult for many of us. Uh, personally speaking, I know on an individual basis, it's really hard to be disciplined both in prayer and in Bible reading. And therefore, I invite you, uh, it's not no coincidence that the Bible tells us that we need to do these things in a community. So please drop in on our drop-ins throughout the week, whether it's our workspace drop-in as you're working or our evening drop-ins. Uh, Tuesday night and Monday morning, we specifically dedicate those times to pray. Because when we have all these emotions... When there are so many things raging within our hearts, we need to surrender these things. And one of the best ways to do that is through prayer. I know many of us, we want to pray. We want to have those intimate times, but it's difficult to do that on your own. So again, Monday morning, Tuesday evening, prime opportunity to pray with like-minded brothers and sisters. And our Thursday evening drop-ins is a great time for us to dig into God's word and to be able to personalize what God is trying to say to us. Um, so these are all opportunities for us to experience God turning our morning into dancing. Now, this first sermon of the sermon series is going to be focused on Psalm 1. Uh, this is the very first psalm of the 150 psalms that we have in the Bible. And the first psalm is interesting because it really sets the tone for the next 150 songs that are in the book of Psalms. And we're going to take a look at Psalm 1. It's a very short psalm, only six verses. And the title of this sermon is From a Planted Tree to a Hung Tree. And we're going to see, and I'll explain this more fully, that every psalm is ultimately about Jesus Christ. Uh, if we just look at the psalm and we just are able to empathize with David or whoever the psalm writer is, that's great. But if we don't take that next step of really recognizing how does this point to Jesus, 
then we don't really understand the psalm. We actually miss the heart of the psalm. So that is what Psalm 1 is going to be about. Let me um, quickly make note of question and prayers. Because one of the things that we want to do to make our worship more engaging and relational is if you have any questions, if you have any prayers that you want to offer up for yourself or for the community, or if you have any prayer requests, all these you can send uh, and they are taken anonymously and we will reflect upon all these during our worship service. Before I read Psalm 1 to us, let me just pray one last time and then we will read Psalm 1 and jump right into the sermon. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Truly, your word is our compass. Your word is what enables us to recognize and learn more of your character, more of your heart, and how you are so involved in our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that as we begin this series on Psalm, as we look into Psalm 1, convict our hearts, because ultimately, our hearts cannot be changed by the eloquence of words, Our hearts cannot be changed just by passionate speech. Our hearts can only be changed by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. We are completely dependent upon you. But we thank you because over the past few months, it has been so clear in this community that you have not only been speaking to us, but you have been convicting our hearts. We've been experiencing transformation and breakthrough even within the lives of here at Uptown. And we anticipate more of it. Not for ourselves, not for us to feel gratified, but so that our lives can be more pleasing and glorifying to you. So Holy Spirit, convict us, and ultimately, may you give us a keener, a deeper appreciation, a deeper dependence upon your Son, Jesus Christ, to whom every song, to whom from Genesis to Revelation points, Jesus, please take center stage. We thank you and we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. So let me read Psalm uh, 1 for us in its entirety. Again, it's six short verses. And I know for many of us who are part of the Bible reading plan, you are reading through Psalms. And some of us, we are really resonating with it. And for others, we may feel a little bit lost. So let me also give you a tip of how to read the Psalms on your own. The first step that you really need to do is try to divide up the Psalm. So, for instance, in Psalm 1, six verses, you're going to see very clearly that there are three divisions in Psalm 6 or Psalm 1. Whenever you read a psalm, try to pick up how would you structure this psalm. Even modern day songs, we see that there is some type of structure. There are verses, there's a chorus, sometimes there's a bridge. And when you have that structure in mind, you're able to understand the purpose of that song better. So much more also for Psalms as well. So let me read it for us. Psalm uh, 1, starting with verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, six short verses. And some of it sounds repetitive. 
Some of it sounds a little archaic because there are some terms that are not really used to our vernacular. So let me break it down really quickly. As far as what are the different parts? How would you divide up this psalm? Well, there's really three parts. And let me highlight it. And we're not going to reread it. We're going to zoom into this in a second. But the first part really is Psalm uh, 1 verses 1 to 2. Blessed is the man who walk, who does not walk, so on and so forth. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And, his, and on his law he meditates day and night. And this is really the first part of the psalm. The second part of the psalm is really verses 3 and 4. Where it talks about how somebody is like a tree planted by streams of water. But the wicked people, they are like chaff. They are just blown away. Their lives are aimlessly just wandering from one thing to the next. And then the last part is verses 5 to 6. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, but the way of the righteous, the Lord knows. So these are three parts. We're going to dig into each part to try to learn what the overall psalm is about. But as a brief summary of what the psalm is, is it really describes two ways of living. There is one way of the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, the mockers, people who live and their life is just so aimless. They are wandering from one thing to the next. They are really like chaff that is blown around. And God is not pleased with that type of lifestyle. And we're going to talk about why. And then the other path, the other way of life that we see in Psalm 1 is the way of righteous. And what really distinguishes this way of life is the fact that these people truly value the law of the Lord. And... The law of the Lord is really God's word, what we see in the Bible. And these people truly value it. They meditate on it. It really becomes a compass of the way that they live. And therefore, instead of like chaff, they are actually like trees. They are planted by streams of water. They yield fruit. Their leaves do not wither. They have this resilience in life. And ultimately, God doesn't judge them, but God sees them. And their way is something that God overlooks. So there are two paths of life. And we're going to zoom into this a little bit more to see how this might relate with us on a personal everyday level. So let me go over the first part. And like I mentioned, there are two paths. And the first part is verses 1 to 2. And it really talks about within these two paths, what are the values of these two paths? What are the values of the sinners, the wicked, the scoffers versus what do the people who are righteous, the people who are God's people, what do they value? And we see immediately that verse one, it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And basically, there might be a progression where you're walking with people who are just living their lives aimlessly with no compass in their heart. And eventually, you're standing with them. And eventually, you're sitting among them. And basically, what this is really unfolding is this idea of the little habits of our lives, the little baby steps that we are taking. We are either taking baby steps to living this type of wandering, aimless life, or we are taking baby steps towards living a different type of life, a life that leads to everlasting life. And that's why these two verses, it really talks about what do you value? Because in verse two, it says, but his delight is not just wandering with the scoffers, the sinners, the mockers, the wicked, but instead his delight, what he values is the law of the Lord. 
And throughout the Psalms, like I mentioned, the law of the Lord is really God's word, what we have in scripture, the Bible. Do you value the Bible? Do you value the word? Is that where your delight is in? Because if so, then you will be meditating on it. If so, you'll be reflecting upon it. If so, it will be your guiding compass in your life. So the first distinction that we see in the first part of the psalm is the different value that you have. Do you value the God? Well, do you value God's word or do you just value whatever tickles your fancy and you're just living your life wandering away? Uh, the next part of the psalm verses three to four is not so much about values, but now it talks about once you have these values, it actually determines your lifestyle. So the next part focuses on your lifestyle and we see a stark difference. The lifestyle of the person who does value God's word, what does it look like? This person is like a tree planted by streams of water. I love this metaphor. I love this imagery. It's just so reassuring that this person is able to live like a tree where his roots are deeply, firmly in the soil. And not only that, but his or her location happens to be by streams of water. So this tree will never wither away. This tree will constantly bear fruit. This tree will have a sense of resilience that regardless of how fierce the windstorms blow, regardless of what type of seasons of drought you experience, this tree, because its roots are deeply ingrained into the, into the soil and is planted by streams of water, there is a steadfastness for this person's life. And this doesn't guarantee that your life is going to be free from trouble. But what this does guarantee is when you experience this trouble, there will be a, an anchoring peace that will enable you to still live like this tree. Now, conversely, what is the lifestyle of the other path? Well, we see the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind dries away. The chaff is the opposite of a tree. Chaff is a thing that you want to burn as you try to harvest the wheat. These are light things that as you throw, throw it up into the air, the wind just carries it from whatever direction it goes because it's so light. There's no foundation. There's no roots. And because of that, this lifestyle is completely dependent upon your circumstances. If work is going well, if family relationships are going well, then yes, you feel like you are soaring on top of that mountain. But as soon as circumstances are unfavorable, man, that dictates, that determines, that becomes your compass. So this describes the differing lifestyle between those who walk in the way of the Lord and to those who continue to live in their sinful ways. The last part of Psalm 1 is verses 5 and 6. So we talked about the differing values. We saw the differing lifestyle. This is the differing outcome. Because not only do your values determine your lifestyle, but your lifestyle also determines your ultimate outcome. And we see, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. God will judge every single one of us. And as we talked about it last week or the week before, he will judge every deed. Ecclesiastes 12, Romans 12 as well. But the wicked, when they are judged, they will not be able to stand God's judgment. However, the way of the righteous, the Lord knows. 
there is a sense that God is sensitive, is aware, will bestow his mercy upon the way of the righteous. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. Now, I understand that when I, when I describe Psalm 1 like this, it sounds very stark. And it's not my interpretation. I'm really just reading it off. And that's the reason why I go through great lengths to show you the actual text and to highlight the text so that you can read it on your own. And yes, some of it may sound a little overwhelming. Um, and I'm going to address that. Actually, that's going to be the heart of the sermon. Is I know for many of us, we do not live up to this standard. In fact, I'll be the first one to admit, as much as I try, I cannot live to the standard of Psalm 1. Nobody can, except one. But at the same time, I do see shades within our uptown community where I see people who truly value God's word. And they've experienced, as they have been engaged in God's word, as they have been abiding God's word, they've experienced what it's like to have seasons where they are like that tree firmly planted by streams of water. That regardless of how fierce the winds are, regardless of how devastating those droughts are, it doesn't matter. They're able, because of their engagement, they're abiding within God's word. They're able to continue to thrive and to experience God's peace. Um, if you don't believe me, I asked some people to send me just some quick sound bites of how they have truly experienced this, even in their own lives. And let me read some of this to us, because I think it will be very encouraging to see that there are people within our community who are truly experiencing this type of lifestyle. Uh, all of these people wanted to remain anonymous. Some of them are longer than others, but these are all very encouraging. Uh, during this year, our family has been experiencing the most challenging times we've experienced with many unknown situations and fear and anxiety that often come with them. I think many of us can empathize with that. However, through the Bible reading, the sermons, the drop-ins, the prayer times, we are constantly reminded of God's sovereignty and most of all, that he is involved and he is with us. This knowledge and reminder is making all the difference in how we see and face our battles. Again, you see this little soundbite really expresses that imagery. Yes, there are still fierce storms. Yes, there are still really um, daunting droughts. But because we are planted by streams of water, because God's word we are abiding in, we're able to have this sense of peace. Another person, I'm so thankful for the drop-ins, especially during this period of isolation. Uh, the drop-ins and the Bible reading plan have helped me make sense of all the madness that's going on in this world. I, I can totally relate with that. I felt God speak powerfully through the recent sermon series. Uh, each sermon was relevant and has truly reminded me that there is hope because of Jesus. I'm really encouraged by that because the sermon series, we talked about a lot of difficult things. Mental health issues, relational conflicts, and to be reminded that there is still hope in Jesus through all these different things. Wow, that is another expression of what it means to be like this tree. Let me just read one more. Uh, and this one is a little lengthier, but I think it's just really beautiful and powerful. When my mom died a few months before the pandemic, I was seriously concerned whether I would fall into a depression or if I would drown in housework, 
and kids without my mom's help, especially with the pandemic. But his word has been my lifeline. When grief washes over me, his word comforts me. When that grief morphs morphs into guilt and regret, the power of the cross frees me. When I am weak and tired, his word strengthens me. When pangs of anxiety grip my heart as I send my husband off to work at the hospital, his word whispers, trust me. When I'm putting clothes on the kids, his word reminds me to also put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God promises never to leave us to do this alone. His spirit empowers us. When my kids are loud and fighting, the Lord's kindness and forgiveness are spoken into their teachable hearts. When mundane tasks like laundry and dishes fill up my day, his praises fill up my heart. When Abby, who's our children's ministry director from children's ministry, started sending out memory verses and activities for the kids, I began memorizing the verses with them. And at breakfast, on our walks, before bed, when I wake up in the dark stillness of the early morning and open God's word, it is an anchor that grounds me. It stirs up hope and builds my faith. It is a spark that ignites joy and energy for the coming day and the inspiration for teaching my children. I know it's not me because that kind of goodness and power does not exist in and of myself. Let me repeat that because I'm going to touch upon this in the sermon. I know it's not me. Because that kind of goodness and power does not exist in and of myself. His word is our lifeline. Meditate on it day and night. They are sweeter than honey. God is ever faithful. When I find myself journeying through the valley of the shadow of death, he makes it possible to come out of it praising him. Wow. I mean, every single one of these messages, thank you for sending them. And wow, so encouraging. Because in their own words... Through their own difficulties, through their own stresses, through their own feelings of, of being overwhelmed, feeling stuck, or feeling unsettled. They're able to experience the anchoring power of God's word. It truly enables us to be like that tree that is firmly planted by streams of water. It's a glorious thing. But at the same time, I recognize that none of us can truly live out this standard. Some of us, as you're listening, you're thinking, oh, I remember that season way back when I was in high school or way back when I was in university years. Yes, that was so easy and it did feel good, but my life right now, I don't think I can get back onto that path. I feel so stuck in that other path. Many, Many of us may feel discouraged and a sense of hopelessness. And here is really the heart of the sermon. This is the heart of all the Psalms. Is ultimately Psalm 1 is not about path A and path B. And you need to choose and pick your own adventure. And you have to make sure that you do your best to not stay on this path, but to stay on this path. Ultimately, every passage of scripture, including the Psalms, is about Jesus Christ. And if you don't want to take my words for it, then again, let me point to scripture to illustrate and prove this. Luke 24, this is Jesus after he resurrected. These are his words. Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while also with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
This is a very important verse. Read the entire chapter of Luke 24 to get the full context. But this is supremely important because that means that even in our Bible reading plan, even as we go through these Psalms, the most important question is, how did Jesus fulfill Psalm 1? What does this have to do with Jesus? And what does the work of Jesus, how does that change the way we look at Psalm 1? And let me tell you, when we think of it in these lines, wow, it makes all the difference. Because even though some of us, we are in that rhythm, and praise be to God, you are in that rhythm where you are rejoicing in the law of the Lord. And I see it in our drop-ins as I connect with you. I see the word of God being your compass, and you are truly like a tree planted by streams of water. I'm so thankful. But there will be seasons where you don't experience that. And for other people, you may feel like that type of season, that type of experience just seems so impossible. It seems so far-fetched. Let me tell you, this psalm is ultimately about what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus is currently doing in you. Your hope to apply Psalm 1 does not reside in yourself. As the person said, I know that this goodness is not from me. And I'm going to spell this out a little bit more. Psalm 1 is ultimately that Jesus fulfilled this on your behalf. And he will make sure that he will make Psalm 1 true of you as well. Let's take a look at this. Let's just reread Psalm 1. Again, six short verses in light of what Jesus has done. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, does not stand in the way of sinners, does not sit in the seat of scoffers. And it's interesting because Jesus Christ, the God, the Holy One of all holies, yes, He did not uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked, but isn't it so incredible that all the Gospels talk about how Jesus dined with sinners, dined with those who are wicked, spent time with the prostitutes, discipled the tax collectors. And yes, blessed is a man for us. We cannot walk down that path because we will eventually be brought down with that path. But Jesus, he is the one who actually walked down that path, the forbidden path. He walked it down in order to save them, in order to bring those people. If you feel like you're stuck in that path, don't worry. Because that is why Jesus came to seek after us. We are those sinners. We are those scoffers. We are the wicked. We are the tax collectors. We are the prostitutes that he dined with, that he fellowshiped with, that he ate with, that he spent time with, that he touched and healed and loved and ministered to. So yes, many of us may feel like we are stuck on that path. But don't Place your eyes on yourself. Place your eyes on Jesus who came to our path and brought us to the path of life. Verse 2, we see Jesus, he delighted in the law of the Lord. He was constantly meditating on God's word. At the time of his own suffering, he was singing out the Psalms. We saw this in the Gospel of John series. As he was hanging on the cross, he was praying through these very own Psalms. He delighted in God's word. He was perfect in that regard. But there's another way of looking at verse 2 in the light of Jesus. Many of us, we feel like, as much as I know I should delight in God's word, I just don't. I don't delight in it. I know it's important, but it just seems so boring. It just seems so esoteric. 
I know I should keep up with my disciplines, but it's just so difficult. It feels like I am pulling teeth. But guess what else Jesus has done? Not only did he delight in God's word, but John chapter 1 says Jesus became God's word. The word in flesh. Yes, in many ways, it's hard for us to relate with God's word. In many ways, it is hard for us to abide in God's word. It's hard to delight in God's word. I can empathize with every single one of you. But the difference in Christianity is Jesus doesn't just demand us to come to him and say, hey, you want to be one of my people? Then you need to come to me and you need to read my word. What Jesus does is John chapter 1, word became flesh and he came to us. Yes, it may feel like God's word is esoteric. It may feel so distant. It may feel difficult to understand. It may feel not very personal. But that's why John chapter 1, it says that Jesus became God's word in flesh. He became the very embodiment of the law of God. So yes, although God's word may seem distant, Jesus came to us. He expressed his own personality. He expressed his love, his sacrificial love, his patience, his gentleness, all these things so that we can experience the word of God. Time and time again, when we feel like we cannot meet this standard of Psalm 1, time and time again, we see Jesus says, no problem. I'll come down to your path. I'll come down to your level. I'll come down to where you are. And that's the reason why many times, most of the sermons I preach, I emphasize, take baby steps. One baby step at a time. If you want to call it habits or whatever, whatever you want to call it, one baby step at a time. It is clear God is working in your life, despite all the stresses. It is clear that God is involved. And don't try to look to hit that home run. Because many times we're going to strike out and we're going to feel even more discouraged. But take one baby step at a time. Another thing that we see, how does Jesus fulfill Psalm 1? We see he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Ultimately, verse 3 is not about us. Ultimately, verse 3 is not about our highlights in us with our Bible reading plan. Ultimately, verse three is Jesus. He was that tree. He is that tree. That in the face of suffering, in the face of people persecuting him, in the face of him being flogged, in the face of him hanging on that tree, man, there is that resilience, that steadfastness, that unbreakable, uncompromising trust in the Father. Jesus is that tree, the ultimate tree whose roots are deeply ingrained in the perfect soil. He is ultimately that tree that's planted by the most nutritious streams of water. But in order to save us, in order to save sinners like me, sinners like you who fail to value God's word, Although he is that tree that's planted, he decided to be hung on that tree. Hence the title of the sermon. It's incredible to see that Jesus, 
who is truly the quintessential tree of life, decides to lower himself and not to enjoy this wonderful being established and this wonderful foundation, but instead he is hung on that tree to bear for all of our sin, to bear all of our wickedness, to bear all of our rebelliousness, to bear all of our inadequacies, so that those who are stuck in this path, those who are just, there is no hope for us. We have no power in and of ourselves to go from path A to path B. But Jesus does that. And how does he do that? It's by him hanging on that tree. It is his death. Him dying for all of our sin. And therefore, we see that although we were like wicked, although we were like the chaff that had no hope, our outcome was nothing but destruction. Our lifestyle should have been us just wandering from one thing to the next, wandering aimlessly in life without any sense of meaning, purpose, intentionality, whatever. Because of his sacrifice, because of what he has done on our behalf, it places us from path A to path B. It is his death. And we're going to talk about it is his resurrection that enables us to stay on that path. It is his resurrection that enables us to be guaranteed that we will finish our lives on this other path. Um, Just quickly, verses five and six. And again, this is the outcome of everybody. And yes, if you try to depend upon yourself, you will fall short. Every single one of us will. Every one of us, we are on that path A. But because of Jesus' death, we are now transferred to path B. But it's also because of his resurrection. Uh, I know for many of us, we understand, okay, Jesus has forgiven my sins. I understood that back in elementary school. I went down the aisle. I raised my hand. I said the, Lord, I said the prayer, all these different things. And yes, I don't want to discount that. But I also want to encourage us that Jesus' death it enables us to transfer from path A to path B. But Jesus' resurrection enables us to stay on path B. And it guarantees that we will end with path B. Because Jesus' resurrection means that His Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. So that one phrase when I was reading some of the sound bites where the person said, I know it's not of, of me. I know it's not my own power. It's not my own goodness. What this person is saying is it is the Holy Spirit that has enabled this person. All the sound bites, all the testimonies that we ever hear, it's not because we are good people. Because again, at the end of the day, we are stuck on path A. It is because the Holy Jesus' Spirit The same spirit that enabled Jesus to love the tax collectors, to love the prostitutes. The same spirit that enabled Jesus to delight in the law steadfastly and to become word that became flesh to us. The same spirit that enabled Jesus, that though he was a tree planted by streams of water, to take that sacrificial love and to be hung on that cross to redeem us, is the same spirit that lives inside every single one of us. And we experience this periodically, many of us, whether it is a Sunday morning or whether it is during our drop-ins or whether it is during our quiet times or whatever it is, there are moments 
where you feel like, oh, I need God. There are moments where you feel like, ah, oh, man, I don't know what to make of this, but I know God is with me. There are moments where you are rebelling and you feel like you are lost, but there is that quiet whisper that says you should go to church. There is that quiet whisper that says you should go to that small group meeting. There is that quiet whisper that's saying you really need to pray. You need to connect with God. You need to be reminded of Jesus. You need to be reminded of the hope of the gospel. Those little whispers, those promptings is the spirit inside of you trying to remind you to stay on path B. And not only trying to remind you, but will give you the power to take those baby steps so that path B, valuing God's word, is not just something that we say with our lips, but it becomes a lifestyle. And this lifestyle ultimately blossoms into the outcome. We're on that judgment day. Yes, we will be judged for everything. But during that moment, God would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because of the blood that's covering over you, because of the spirit that is in you, he will choose to remember our righteous deeds. All those moments where we saw after him. So I do want to encourage us. Yes, uh, pick up on the Bible reading plan. Uh, this is actually a wonderful time to do so because we are coincidentally in the Psalms. And you don't have to feel lost. You don't have to feel like you have to catch up on the reading because each psalm is its own psalm. So just pick up where we are this day. Um, Yes, participate in the drop-ins. Both the prayer drop-in and the word drop-in. We need both. We need to express our emotions. Uh, The morning prayer, the workspace drop-in, all these different things. Yes, these are wonderful baby steps. But the ultimate baby step is for us to reflect upon Jesus Christ. What does this death mean that he transferred all of us from path A to path B? And what does this resurrection mean that we are guaranteed that this is going to be our lifestyle? We will be that tree that's firmly planted by streams of water. So as we transition into a time of response, um, I do want to remind us of if you have any questions, uh, if you have any prayers, if you want to offer up a prayer for yourself or for the community, or if you have any prayer requests, Uh, This is an excellent time to do so. Um, All of these messages have truly been so edifying and have really made our worship much more engaging. So I do want to give us an opportunity to do that. Uh, For other people, I do want to invite us to stand because, again, we are in the presence of God. And if you cannot stand, once again, at least some type of bodily gesture. My personal favorite is I love to place my hand over my heart because it is my expression Saying, God, I don't want to just offer you up my lips. I want to give you my very, the center, the core of my being. And I love to extend my other hand, offering up to the Holy Spirit, saying, God, with the center of my being, do whatever you want. If you want to rebuke me, rebuke me. If you want to encourage me, if you want to comfort me, if you want to challenge me, whatever it is, I just want you to have your way in me. So I want us to have an opportunity to do that and ask the Holy Spirit. Uh, Based on Psalm 1, what is it that he is trying to say to you? Is he trying to encourage you? Is he trying to remind you of the great blessings, the victories, the provisions of Jesus?
Or is he trying to challenge you, reminding you that his spirit is living inside of you? Make most of it. Take full advantage of what the spirit is trying to do. Are there particular baby steps that God is prompting your heart? And again, here, I want to encourage you. Uh, It is really difficult to live out this Christian life in solitude. It was never meant to be this way. If you read your Bibles carefully, we need to do this in a community. So again, please, maybe one baby step is to take those baby steps towards being part of our community. Um, So yeah, I just want to give this time between you and the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to minister, just allow Him to speak to you if you want to respond in prayer, whatever it is, this is your moment with the Holy Spirit.